Let's pray together. God, we stand here at the base of a mountain, getting ready to talk about what we treasure most. God, I know that there's not a good example in this room of anyone who has truly and obediently decided to lay up treasures in heaven instead of earth. God, we get so distracted. We get, we get so consumed with things of this world. We focus, at least I do, the majority of my attention on things that are going away, things that can be destroyed. So God, help us this morning to, as we read your scripture, to remember that you spoke these words. They came from you. God, and as we think about the perspectives or the principles or the way of life that you desire for your holy people, God, as we reflect upon the sermon that Christ preached and has been preserved for us to continue to study, God, help us to feel the weight. God, help us to feel the tension that we have when we think about our, our lives and deeply, inwardly look at what we treasure most. God, help us to see who our true master is, the one that we're laying down our life for daily. And then, God, at the end of our time together this morning, would you remind us of how glorious our Savior is and how our righteousness comes from him and him alone. And because of that, we should have unswerving loyalty to him that we should have a strong desire to be obedient to him and to him alone. God, that we would be willing to repent of our hypocrisy or repent of our sins. God, that we would be reminded that no longer because of Christ, no longer do you look at us as objects of wrath, but instead we become objects of your love and your grace and your forgiveness. God, let us be reminded this morning that there is no earthly treasure worth living for or dying for. God, help us to be reminded that Christ is it. Lord Jesus, please speak to us this morning. God, and through your power, through your Holy Spirit, as we have a desire to abide in you, God, help us to respond to you, to you alone in a way that shows your worthiness, that shows your holiness, that shows your righteousness. God, help us to take these few moments seriously as Brian has led us into worship of you. God, I hope that our hearts are in tune with yours. 
As we sing about our brokenness, God, we, we would understand that hope and healing come from you and you alone. God, as we sing about our need for you above all things, God, help us not just to say those words, but help us to live them also. God, help us to make the most of this time for your glory. God, thank you that you are the only God, the King eternal, invisible, immortal. God, that you are forever. To you alone be honor and glory. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Turn to Matthew chapter 6. We've been working our way through the Sermon on the Mount, and um, we come to a really, really difficult topic similar to last week as we talked about fasting. I'll remind you just for a short time here, uh, we talked about fasting last week. talked about fasting being the act of making room in our hearts and our appetites to wholeheartedly worship God and find eternal pleasure in Him. So fasting helps us refocus and recenter our lives upon Jesus. And this leads right into discussion or the topic of worldly treasures. See, fasting helps us recognize what we're hungry for. When we do without something, something that we think we cannot live without, we begin to see what our hearts long for. And maybe even then we begin to recognize what our treasure is. And if it is not Jesus, then fasting helps us to recenter, repent, and refocus our lives on Jesus. Fasting indeed should, though oftentimes it just may, lead us to repentance. Which if you're reminded, Mark 1.15, Jesus said, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. No better time than now, because the time is now, to repent and believe in what God and what Christ has done, is doing, is going to do. So fasting should be this moment where we begin to do away with something and we see true character revealed. And then in our true character, we, we begin to see and, and ask God to, in repentance and in confession, God, change our hearts, change our wants, change our desires, change our needs to meet who you are. Let my life reflect the kingdom life that you desire for me to live. Let my life reflect, let my actions reflect the king who is truly king. That my will might be your will. That I might be, that I might be about your name being lifted up instead of my own name. D.A. Carson says, Repentance willingly orients all of our life around kingdom norms. So when we fast and we do away with something, we take something away, we see true character revealed, and in that we're asking God to speak to us, to change us. We repent of our ways and we say, no longer do I want the same heart, but I want my heart to be changed. I want my ways to be changed so that I may live and walk the righteous life that Christ has clothed me in. You ever been around a toddler or a husband and you take away something that they really long for? Maybe it's something silly like a stick, but you take it away and they begin to pout and cry and, and whine and yell and bite and scream. And, and I was just talking about me as a husband. I know exactly what I do. 
When we, when we fast and things are taken away, we remove something from our life, we begin to see really where, where our treasure lies, what it is that we're truly longing for. And this is a difficult topic. You've had things removed from your life, maybe through the discipline of God, maybe through terrible circumstances, and in that moment your character is revealed and you see where your heart was really, what really captured your heart. I mean, if we're real with one another this morning, and I know that some of you don't want to be real, so for those that do, if we're real with one another this morning, I mean, these things could be people even who have captured our heart and then they're removed from our life and we cannot function any longer. I wish it was just food. I wish it was just food, just material things that get in the way or lead us to distra- distraction. And the whole point of Christ coming to earth is that he would receive glory and that his people who have been clothed in his righteousness would be about him, treasuring him above all things. It's a difficult topic when we start inwardly looking at what we treasure most. When we begin looking at the piles that we create and the stuff that we collect, the amount of friends we have on Facebook or some other type of social media, the influence that we have, the amount of things that we can fill our garage with or our storage building or the other storage building or the other storage building or my parents' storage building, the things that we collect that we think at some point is going to save us, at some point is going to rescue us from the pit that we're in, at some point it's going to uh, give us the hope that we're so longing for. If I can just get these things and, and I can wrap my arms around them or I can put extenders on my hands and I can wrap my arms around all this stuff and these things and these people, then at some point I'll find the comfort and the peace that I need. And Christ with arms stretched out wide and with an empty grave and with righteousness being ready to clothe upon you and sin being ready to be removed, treasure me above all things. Let your heart, your affections, your walk be representative of Jesus. It's a difficult topic. It's one that I think every person in this room right now is dealing with. We're all treasuring something that is not Jesus. I mean, good old Baptist we are. I asked Jesus to come into my heart and I asked him just to tidy up things, rearrange some stuff. Jesus, I want to make room for you in my heart, but I got a lot of stuff in there. So if you could just rearrange some things, organize it well so I can keep all those things that I long for also, could you just get into my heart and reorganize it, make it look nice and make it look not so messy anymore? And Christ said, I want to get rid of all those things. And I want to be the only thing that you treasure. Some of you are thinking, how selfish of Jesus. You know what? Let him be. He died for the entire world. We'll we'll read at the end of the message today, Philippians chapter 2, but I want to remind you of this. Christ in his empathetic state, having empathy upon his people, empathy upon the people that he created, decided to lower himself and come to the place that we are 
to walk in our shoes, to see the struggles that we have, and to provide a way out. When I was in eighth grade, a group of friends and I decided to to go and on Halloween to go and be great, loving classmates and offer to one particular family some extra toilet paper. We walked across town. We're all dressed in the appropriate attire, welcoming attire. Walk across town, make our way to our classmate's house, make sure the coast is clear because we want this to be a total surprise. We want them to feel so good about what we're doing for them. And we begin to give them the toilet paper on their trees because it seemed like the best place to make our presence known. We throw the toilet paper into the trees and it was beautiful. Think about like a winter morning after a fresh snow and the trees are just covered in white. We were just amazed. And if God can do this in the mountains, Rocky Mountains, we can sure do it in West Texas on Halloween. Welcome winter and the snow is falling from the trees. We felt so proud of ourselves. We had accomplished such a great task. And we began to walk back to our, our uh, beginning point to get back and just celebrate what we had accomplished. And to think about how, how incredible we are and how thankful our classmates are going to be that we provided her with extra toilet paper. And as we crossed the street... Barney Five and his police officer mobile uh, spotted us, particularly with his spotlight and, uh, and his red and blue lights, just providing light for the way to go. And we began to run because that's what you do, right? He, he said stop, but we didn't understand that. As we didn't have an interpreter. We thought he said run. So we begin to run. There's probably eight or nine of us, and we're making good headway. And we cross through one of the backyards that, unknowingly to any of us, they had a freshly dug pit for their septic system, I guess. And it turned out to be my grave, it felt like. And as we're running, and there was no more ground, I just fell into the pit. And as I lay there in the pit, thinking, I'm going to jail for the rest of my life for decorating Jamie Mason's house with toilet paper. What a way to go out. What a way to go out in this world. And I hear a car, and I know it's the police car. And then I see the spotlight, and it goes over the hole. And I'm laying in the pit, and it goes over the hole. And then it goes over the hole again. The police officer never knew that the pit was there. And I felt so accomplished as I was laying in this pit where I thought, that I would never be rescued from for good cause. Instead, I would just be rescued to prison bars for toilet paper in my friend's house. The light passed over one more time, and then I heard the car drive off. And at that moment, I knew that I was free for eternity. And so I jumped out of the pit, and I ran as fast as I could like Forrest Gump to my parents' rescue and never told them a thing until they listened to this podcast. See, I think for many Christians, we have been rescued from the pit. We've been brought out of the pit. See, our Savior came from heaven, Philippians chapter 2, came into the pit 
to walk where we walk, see our sin and remove us from that. Rescue us from the pit of sin and despair. And to give us a new life. To fill us full of light. To take away all darkness. To empower us to walk the gospel mission that he has set us out upon. But many of us want to try and prove Psalm 103 incorrectly. Yes, Christ removes our sins as far as the east is from the west. But many of us set out the rest of our life, the rest of our saved life, trying to prove that maybe he's wrong. I'm going to walk as far east as I can until I find my sin. I want to see if you really did remove it as far as the east is from the west. We, we don't really trust in that. We don't trust that what he's set us out upon or what he's done for us is truth or is reality. And then when the light of Scripture passes over us and begins to convict us, and instead of repenting and changing, repenting of our ways and changing the course, we hide back in the pit and the light goes over us, don't look at me. And the light goes back, don't look at me. Please light, don't, don't let this be about me. Hiding in the pit that Christ has rescued us from. He wants to shine light so we can be more like him. Reveal our sins so that we can repent and confess and walk in a way of righteousness, clothed in the righteousness that he has put on, he has put on us. So when we talk about what we treasure the most, most of us have a shovel in our hand, and the pit that we've been rescued from, and that Christ has filled in with his glory and his grace and his forgiveness, we got the shovel in our hand, digging it all back out. Let me get back in that pit. Let me become slaves to that sin again. It's not what Christ desires of us. It's not why he saved us. It's not why he's come and resurrected from the dead so that we could live a, a marginally filled life. I mean, we, we talk about an abundant life and a full life, and most of the time, we completely ignore these, these scriptures when we talk about that. Lord, let me have a full, abundant life, full of treasures that moth and rust can destroy. Lord, let me have a full and abundant life, full of things that thieves can break in and steal. Lord, let me have an abundant life, full of money and men and possessions that I can let rule over me again. It's not what Christ desires of us. Matthew 6, 19 through 24 do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth honestly as i wrestled with this this week and wrestled just moments ago i thought about just coming up and just reading these scriptures and walking off because i don't think there's anything else that could be said but maybe i'm in rebellion here and said more than i should do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. See, Christ in the context of the Sermon on the Mount is asking that his followers, those who are uh, desiring to live obediently in what, in, in what he's called them to live and the, the way that he's called them to live, 
Those that have been clothed in His righteousness, those whose sins have been removed as far as the east is from the west by Jesus, He's calling us to have this unswerving loyalty to Him and to His kingdom. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come. That your name be lifted up. Your holy name. And how, is we, how, how can we as followers of Him be lifting up His name, His holy name, how can we allow His will to be done on earth as it is in heaven if we are too consumed with the things of earth? I mean, the call here in verses 19 through 24 is a call to minimize fleeting things and maximize the eternal King. We should be like those wise men who came and visited Jesus at His birth or thereafter who brought earthly treasures to lay at his feet and then replaced those treasures with worship of Jesus, left in a different way, leaving earthly things behind, maximizing the eternal king, submitting to him and to him alone. There's some replacement theology for you. Replacing the treasures we have on this earth with the treasure of Jesus, period. And when Jesus refers to treasures here, he's referring to them as any valuable thing which is perishable, anything that's going away, any fleeting thing, or anything that can be lost in one way or another. Can you lose Jesus? Come on, Baptist, this is you. Can you lose Jesus? If not... Surrender your life in obedience to Him and treasure Him above everything else. We shouldn't be known as a group of people who only treasure Jesus when it's convenient, who only treasure Jesus when it's Sunday, who only treasure Jesus when it's the right song. I was thinking about Billy Graham this week and reminded of a song that uh, came out of his ministry. I'm going to read the lyrics to you. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be His than riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or land. Yes, I'd rather be led by His nail-pierced hands than to be the king of a best domain and be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. I'm seeing lots of nodding, lots of agreement. We are in agreement. What a great song. And we will look deep inwardly. When I sing this song and I get just to this moment where it says, I'd rather have Jesus than houses or land. My words say it, but my heart does not agree. I come under conviction every time. And this isn't even the scripture of God. This is just man's words they put into lyric form to go along with some music on a page so that we could sing it in worship of Jesus. But when I say I'd rather have Jesus than houses or land, I see the hypocrisy in myself so much. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. (laughs) I sure do, sure do enjoy that paycheck that comes every two weeks that this church provides for me. I sure do. I mean, I'm reading the, the words of Annie Armstrong. I don't want a salary. I don't want a paycheck. <sighs> Let Annie Armstrong sing this song. I'm a hypocrite full of sin. 
and I see where my desires are. And in that, I have to repent daily, saying, Lord, change my desires. Change my wants. Let me see Jesus as those in Revelation chapter 19 see Jesus. That He is worthy. That He is the only worthy thing to be living for. When Christ comes in and changes us and begins to change our heart, He then begins to change our direction. Verse 21 said, For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. So, so it really is, it still is, it will continue to always be a heart issue. Like we said earlier, we're asking Jesus to come into our heart. We want him to come and fill our heart, but we'd rather him just reorganize the other treasures that are in there. That's fine, Jesus, put yourself at the top. But, but can I keep all those Treasures. Well, we get to the end of this little passage and we see that no one can serve two masters. So we think about our treasures and we are drawn towards our treasures. We fret about our treasures. We measure other things and other people by our treasures. This is so painfully true that a person who honestly examines himself or herself can pretty well discover what his or her real treasures are simply by studying your deepest desires. As in fasting, remove something and you see your true character revealed. Also with our treasures, remove something and you begin to see where your heart has been captured. So we tend to move toward the object on which we fix our gaze the most. Laying up treasures in heaven trains ourselves to have a consistent, deep love and unswerving loyalty to Christ and His kingdom. What rewards us, like we talked about last week, what rewards us is usually what motivates us. And what motivates us usually is what consumes us. And what consumes us usually is what rules over us. I mean, if it's Jesus who's ruling over us, then hopefully Jesus is who's consuming our lives. And our lives are consumed with Jesus. And if our lives are consumed with Jesus, then hopefully He's the one that's motivating us. And if He's the one that's consuming us and ruling over us and motivating us, then we see eternally that He is our reward. We treasure Him above anything and everyone else. Paul Tripp says this, As we listen to eternity, we realize that the kingdom is about God, radically changing people, but not in the self-absorbed sense our culture assumes. Christ came to break our allegiance to such an atrophied agenda and call us to the one goal worth living for. His kingdom is about the display of His glory and people who are holy. This is the change He came, lived, died, and rose to produce. This is the life and work He offers us in exchange for the temporary glories we would otherwise pursue. The kingdom agenda is intended to control our hearts and transform our lives. The second part of this little passage that Jesus is preaching says this, verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body, and so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness... 
How great is the darkness? Really, Christ is talking about a good eye, a singleness of purpose, an unswerving loyalty, an undivided loyalty, that our eye is fixed upon, gazed upon, the one who it should be fixed upon, the treasure that truly is a treasure. When we are full of light, then will we have unreserved commitment to the kingdom, to its values, and then we can truly become the light of the world. How can we be the hope of the world as the church or the light of the world as followers of Jesus? If our eyes are fixed upon darkness, if our treasures are not Christ, how will we ever be the light of the world? Matthew Henry, theologian from the past, died in 1714, said this one time after he was robbed, Lord, I thank you that I have never been robbed before and that although they took my money, they spared my life and that although they took everything, it wasn't very much. And I thank you that it was I who was robbed and not I who robbed. And Matthew Henry's vision and his focus was upon Christ, who his true master really is. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And then Jesus says this at the end. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon, or both God and possessions, or both God and money. You can only serve one. Have you ever been using a saw and you drew, drew your line on the board and it's a straight line and you're going to cut that straight line? Or maybe you're in kindergarten and you're learning how to cut with scissors and your teacher says just cut on the dotted line and so you begin just cutting on the dotted line. Or maybe you're an artist of some sort and you wanted to draw a straight line of some, some sort so you begin drawing the straight line. Or maybe you're driving somewhere and you know where you're headed and it's in New Mexico, so for the most part, most roads are straight and long and slow. And you fix your attention on the goal ahead, and you know where you're going. But at some point when you're cutting, either with the saw or with the scissors, or you're drawing or you're driving, at some point you begin just to look down to exactly where you are. And you just start, I'm going to cut, and I'm just going to let this place right here be my line. And you never look up. You get fixed on this point here and you never look up. And then you get to the end of the board or the end of the paper or the end of the artwork or the end of the road and you, you get to the end and you look around and you're like, huh, and, and you're redneck maybe and you say, well, this ain't where we're supposed to be. And you don't know how it happened. You have no idea. Well, I had a path. I had a guide. I, I knew where I was supposed to be going. Well, well what happened? You're focused here. In the moment, he didn't focus on the goal. You let this be your treasure, this moment here be your treasure, instead of where I should be fixed, as the author of Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says. We began swerving back and forth. You wanted to cut a straight line on the board, but you look and, well, that's going to have to be something else. We're going to have to start over a different project here because... This was supposed to be straight, and it's not the way that it's supposed to be. Or maybe, maybe you're walking a straight line, and 
Maybe this wall is where you want to end up and you start from over here and you have somebody go along with you. And instead of looking at the goal and the prize, you begin to look beside you. You begin treasuring the person who's next to you. And you begin walking and because your gaze is fixed upon them, they begin to lead you. And maybe they're great, maybe they're good, but they begin to lead you in the wrong direction because your gaze was not on, or your vision was not on what it was supposed to be on. When Christ says, no one can serve two masters, when he talks about the eye being the lamp of the whole body, when he gives us indication of what true treasure should be, he's asking for unswerving loyalty. That our eyes would be fixed upon him, the author or the founder and perfecter of our faith. That we would not get tangled up with the sin of this world that we would not go back to the pit that he brought us from, that we would not be chasing the sin that he's removing as far as the east is from the west, but instead our eyes would be fixed upon him and him alone. And when he shines light into our life and we recognize where our treasure truly is and what our heart has really been captured by, then we repent and we ask him to remove the sin from us, that we may be reminded of his sovereignty, that we may be reminded of his forgiveness, that we, we may be reminded of what a great treasure he is. If you want to treasure Jesus and only Jesus, then you must take on the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ goes like this, Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, verse 6, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. See, this is opposite of what happened in the garden. Adam and Eve thought they could be God. But God comes to earth and he says, I won't count it as equality. But made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Lord, I'll follow you because I know you're going to give me an abundant life. Lord, I'll follow you because you're going to fill all my needs and all my wants. But don't ask me to die for you. But, well, but I, want, I want you to follow me. I want you to deny self. I want you to take up your cross and I want you to follow me. Oh, no, no, no. I'm just here for the treasures. Well, I am your treasure. No, 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 you don't get it. I I want you to be one of my treasures, one of the many of my treasures. And Jesus graciously, compassionately, empathetically says, you cannot serve two masters. You're either going to love the one and hate the other, but you cannot serve both of us. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And therefore God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, there will be a day when we will all recognize. Everyone will recognize the treasure of Jesus. My hope is this, that you won't have to wait for that, but you can begin seeing that today. If he hasn't rescued from the pit, confess him as Lord. Repent of your sins. Ask him to forgive you of those. 
Let him dress you or clothe you in his righteousness. Let him remove you from that pit, not on your own merit, because of what he has done, because of his completed work. And if he has rescued you from the pit, and he shines that light upon you, and you stand guilty, Lord, I see my sin. Change my ways. I confess these sins to you. I'm repenting of that. God, I want to follow you. I want to treasure you and you alone. Let Christ be your treasure. Jesus, thank you that we have a Savior who is not like any, any other Savior or any other thing that does saving in the world. We have a Savior who knows us, who knows our weaknesses. We have a Savior who knows our struggles, who's been tempted and yet remain sinless. Thank you that we have a Savior that completed the work of salvation once and for all. God, thank you that you do and you can. You have the authority and the power not only to rescue us from the pit, but you also have the power and the authority to remove our sins. God, help us not to chase those Help us to live unswervingly loyal to you. God, as light has shined upon us this morning, not for our own glory do we respond to you, not to prove our righteousness to others that we confess our sins to you, but God, help us to reorient our lives around Christ. that we would be ruled over, consumed with, motivated by, and rewarded with Jesus and Jesus alone. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Spend some time, invitation time, just responding to Christ.